0: You know, it, uh, it makes it pretty easy to want to preach when you hear singing like that. It's a great encouragement. Um, beautiful singing. I appreciate the songs that were led, the words to the songs that were led tonight. We're going to talk tonight about the grace of God. We're going to begin in Ephesians 2... 8 and 9. We'll have the scriptures on the screen uh, for your convenience and also to save us a little time and maybe do some highlighting of uh, different things. Uh, if you are old school, if you want to use that phrase and like to turn along, we we'll, uh, encourage you to do that if that's your preference. What we do wish to do tonight is to study God's Word. We're not interested in upholding the doctrines of this congregation or any church, but looking at the truth. Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, when I was young, uh, a lot of times we would have Bible discussions, and and, uh, if you have had many Bible discussions, you hear a lot of different ideas. And I remember at times I would talk to someone about obedience to the gospel of Christ. And we would look at various scriptures about obedience to God and about baptism, about repentance and other things. And this verse would always come up and I'd say, yeah, but my verse over here says this. And my verse beats up your verse. And so, you know why I did that? Because every time I looked at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I could not explain it. It did not fit within my view of God. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't want to run from it tonight. I want to hit it head on. And I want to look at this passage of Scripture and I want to build precept upon precept, line upon line, and look at what this passage is teaching. We're going to spend a great deal of our time in the book of Romans and also in the book of Galatians. I call these sister books because they teach the same thing. And before we uh, get into all that, I want to tell you a story that I think will help us in our understanding tonight when we talk about the grace of God. There were two men in an airplane, a pilot and his passenger. And during their flight... One of the engines failed, and the the pilot came back, and he talked to the passenger, and the passenger was in a panic. I mean, he was just totally freaking out, screaming, we're going to die. And the pilot says, calm down. He says, we've got a plan. he says, well, what's the plan? He said, well, I'll give you two options. He said, option one, I'll open up the hatch, and you jump out, and you flap your arms as fast as you can. And he said, is there another option? He said, yeah, there's another option. He says, I have a parachute. He said, I packed it myself. It's packed correctly. And he said, I'll put it on you, and you jump, and I'll follow you. And when I tell you to pull this cord right here, you pull it, and you will sail safely to the ground. It doesn't take a genius, (laughs) does it? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation unto everyone that believeth. God's power to save mankind is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? I want you to notice the second phrase. He says, for therein, that is in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. So he says the power of God to save man is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this second phrase really catches my attention where he says in this gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. Did you know that the righteousness of God was not revealed before the gospel? You know when we talk about the righteousness of God, I suppose we could... Think of this word righteousness because the word righteousness is used in different ways. Sometimes it just is talking about the fact that God himself is righteous. That he's holy, that he's perfect, that he's just. Sometimes we read the word righteousness as it pertains to us and our state of being. Sometimes we might read the word righteousness like in Philippians 1, 9 and 10 and 11 where he talks about the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ and the glory and praise of God. Doing fruits that are righteous. But when he talks about the righteousness of God here, he's got something different in mind. And I want you to know that this whole book, the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, the book of Ephesians, are books that tell us about the righteousness of God. And I think many times we have no clue what the righteousness of God is if we're going to talk about the grace of God we have to define some terms because throughout our study we're going to look at some of these things because there's there's some different ideas especially in the book of Romans and in the book of Ephesians where these things are contrasted there's two things that are contrasted in the book of Romans the word law and the word grace and they're in contrast to one another all throughout the book of Romans. There's another couple of words that we need to understand that are in contrast. And that's the word works and the word faith. Now I want to tell you something. The word works is not always in contrast to the word faith. But in the book of Romans and in our study they are. And they are in the, in the verse that we read at the beginning of this study in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. They're used as opposites. What is law? We know what law is, don't we? Everyone understands law. Law is a legal code. And a legal code demands observance and it punishes violators. And I told you last night, I'm very simple. So I want to be simple with this. What is law? Do you understand this? This is the law. Now, it was explained to me one time that when you see one of these signs, that a driver must come to a complete stop. Where posted? Complete. You know what will happen? Well, if there's no police officer nearby, nothing, right? Let me ask you something. Does this law demand observance? Sure does. And it punishes violators. That's law. God's law is the same. When we talk about law, we're talking about a legal code. But that's not how the Jew looked at it. The Jew thought that the law was salvation. Paul teaches in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 10, For as many as of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written... Now, he quotes from the law, Deuteronomy 27, 26. He says, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Look at this phrase. Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things. How many things? All things. What Moses essentially told the people was that if you don't continue in every single thing, facet of this law you are under the curse you know what the people said amen amen did they make a covenant yes they did did they do it no they did not he tells us that in the book of Hebrews I made a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt why because they continued not And I regarded them not. They didn't keep their agreement. What was the law? Was it salvation? Was it righteousness? He said it was a curse upon everyone that didn't keep it. Who kept it? Jesus Christ. That's it. Notice the second part of this. He says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. No man is justified by the law in the sight of God. He said, that is apparent. It's just known. It's evident that no man is justified by the law. Friends, law can't justify you. And I want you to know, not just the law of Moses, but no law can justify you. Because law does not justify Paul said in Galatians 2 and 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Paul says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. What's he mean by that? Well, the word frustrate means to do away with, to set aside, to disregard. I like this word over here, nullify, to make void. Paul said, if righteousness comes by the law, believing that would nullify... The grace of God. Why? Well, if law can justify us, then why did Jesus die? He teaches this same concept in chapter 3 where he says, For if there had been a law given which could have given life verily righteousness, would have been by the law. I want you to notice the specificity here. He says, For if a law... If there had been a law given, that's any law. If there had been any law given which could have given life, then righteousness would have been by the law, the one that God gave to his people. Just think about that. If God could have just said, well, you know what, this law won't give righteousness, but I'll give him a different law that will give him righteousness. Isn't that what he would have done? And not sent his son to be tortured and killed? Law doesn't make you righteous. Let's just pretend for a moment that I was driving down McMaster's about two years ago over close to Amarillo Boulevard and uh, I don't remember doing it but I know that I did because they sent me a picture with my license plate and my expedition and I could not argue because the light was red in the picture and my car was in the middle of the intersection and I just sent him a check. You know, you can do that. You can just send him a check. You don't have to come and appeal it or go to court or anything like that. But suppose that I did. And I go and appeal this. And I say, look, I know that I did this and you know that I did this. We all know that I'm guilty of running this red light. But before we decide on the punishment, there's some things that you should know. First of all, I was not intoxicated. Second of all, I was wearing my seatbelt. I was driving the speed limit, if you can do that, going through a red light. I was doing it. I carry insurance. My vehicle is registered with the state of Texas. I'm a licensed driver. I am a law keeper. I have not had any former violations before this. Suppose all of that was true. What would the verdict be? Guilty. You know why? Because law was not made for the righteous. Law was made for the transgressor. And the law says guilt. And the law demands observance. And the law punishes violators. And once you've broken the law, it won't justify you no matter if you keep 99.99% of it. Because what matters is the law you've broken that demands punishment. That's the nature of law. For all have sinned. We talk about sin. People say, well, that's doing something wrong. No, it's not doing something wrong. I used to paint with my dad when I was young, and I did it wrong. It wasn't a sin. I just didn't do it right. Sin is transgressing God's law. We've broken God's legal code. And what's the punishment? Death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift, I want to say that again the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wages is what we've earned. Wages is when you get what's coming to you. What have we earned? According to the law, we've all earned death. But he said that's not what we get through Jesus Christ. We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. Let's talk about righteousness for a minute. What is the righteousness of man? Especially as it pertains to man that's under law. Well, he gives us a pretty vivid description. You know, I'm really bad about... If somebody buys me a new t-shirt, about forgetting that I have that t-shirt on and going outside and doing something that involves grease or oil or something else, and then it becomes a work shirt. You know why? Because it's not the shirt that's mostly white that has a tiny stain on it. It's the shirt that when I pull it off, I go, well, it's mostly white, I'll wear that to town. No, that's the stained shirt. It's the shirt that's been tainted. That's the... It's not the good shirt. That's the righteousness of man. Man alone cannot make himself righteous. Oh, sure, we feel righteous if we look at criminals. We look at other people that are worse than us. That is not righteousness. Let's go back to our text, and I want to read the continuation of this thought. He says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely. Do you see that word, freely? Do you believe that? That you're justified freely by His grace? He says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. You know what he's describing here? He's describing God's righteousness. He's describing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what his conclusion upon these facts is? He says, where's boasting then? If God justified us freely, if he paid the price, if he is the one who made Christ to be a propitiation, who can boast? He says boasting is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith, listen very closely, without the deeds of the law. Now let's just revisit what we just looked at and let's put it up here on the screen. He said, you are justified, you are redeemed, you're propitiated. In other words, you are saved. How? By God's grace, through faith, in His blood. It's the gift of God. It's free. It's not of yourselves. Not of works. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 in Romans chapter 3. What's grace? You ever hear anybody talk about grace? It's sort of ambiguous at times, isn't it? Oh, don't worry. God's grace will take care of that. By the grace of God. You know, you can't just reach out and grab some grace. You can't do it. Grace... Is favor, it's goodwill, it's kindness, it's disposition to oblige one another as a grant made as an act of grace. This is from Webster's Bible Dictionary. Well, that still doesn't really give us a great idea, does it? Favor? I like the second definition he gave. He says, appropriately, the free and unmerited love and favor of God, the spring and source from, of all the benefits men receive from Him. Someone says, I like that definition except for that one word, Unmerited. I just, I don't think that's right. I just don't think God's grace is unmerited. Well, let's look at the word merited. What does merit mean? Merit means to deserve, to earn by active service or any valuable performance, to have a right to claim reward in money regard honor or happiness. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is God's grace Merited. Did we earn God's grace? Do we deserve God's grace? We've already established what we deserve. Death. This is the same concept that Paul taught. He said, what shall we say that our father Abraham, or Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory. You know what he's saying? He's saying if Abraham earned... Righteousness, by valuable performance, he could boast about it. But he said, not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now I want to notice here, he does not say, Abraham believing God was righteousness. He said, when Abraham believed God, God counted it unto him for righteousness. His faith was not righteousness, God counted it for righteousness. Well, what in the world is righteousness? He goes on to say this. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. You know what he's saying? Look, if you worked your way to the reward, you earned it. And he said if you did that, it's not grace. In other words, you are frustrating the grace of God by thinking that you have earned salvation. But to him that worketh not but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You know, we throw the word righteousness around a lot and we say, well, you know, that guy over there, he's a righteous man. What do we mean by that? Well, he does good things and he follows God. He's, he's, he's righteous. Well, he, that guy, he's, he's righteous, but he's not as righteous as that person. <laughs> we, we say those things. What does the Bible say about righteousness? When righteousness is is counted to someone, when God makes someone righteousness, does that mean mean He makes them better than others? Does that mean that He makes them better than they were? Is it a measure of goodness that God gives to us? Is that what righteousness is? This is what Paul said about righteousness. He said, even as David describeth the blessedness of Of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying... Now listen, David is going to describe what it means to be blessed by God with righteousness. He said, blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord will not impute sin. When God declares someone righteousness, it means He declares them... Free from guilt. Innocent. Well, why would he have to do that? Because law brings about guilt. God's grace frees us from that guilt. Now, is God righteous in doing that? Yes, he is. Why? Because he paid the price for sin at Calvary. God didn't scrap the law and give us a better law. It's not what He did. God fixed our sin with the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ is what cleanses us from our sins. Paul said in Romans 10... You say, well, you just skipped about six chapters. Okay, (laughs) I understand that. We haven't gone out of the letter that Paul wrote to Rome. And I want you to notice this phrase because this is when he begins to draw all of what he said to a head. And he said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Do you know why he said that? Because Israel wasn't saved. You know why they weren't saved? He said, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant. You know why they weren't saved? He said it was ignorance. Of what? For they being ignorance of God's righteousness. And going about to establish their own righteousness. You know why Israel wasn't saved? Because they didn't trust in God. They trusted in themselves to be righteous. They were going about to establish their own righteousness. And friends, when you go to the law and the works of the law and you follow after works in order to be righteous, that's exactly what you've done. Works of righteousness, which they had done, they felt like made them righteous. Paul said it caused them not to be saved. Paul expresses this same idea in the book of Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. Do you see that? Righteousness that is produced from the law, he said, that is my own righteousness. But he said, I don't have that. I have that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God. Righteousness is not attained, friends. It's given. You can't attain righteousness. You can only be given righteousness from God. You know, grace is not merited. But you know, grace is conditional. People say, well, no it's not. If grace is not conditional, then that means every person on the earth is saved. Do you believe that? Do you believe every person is saved? Well, no, not everybody's saved because not everybody ha- has had faith. Okay, then it's conditional, isn't it? We all agree on that. Unless you believe in universal salvation, you believe that receiving the gift that is by grace is conditional. We just don't always agree on what the conditions are. Conditional just means it is dependent on conditions or a set of conditions, it's made with limitations. It's not absolute. We've already looked at the conditions, haven't we? It's faith. That's the condition. You're saved by grace. How? Through faith. You know, I remember uh, when my grandfather died, he left me a trust fund. And no, I'm not one of those trust fund babies. (laughs) It wasn't a whole lot of money, but it was to me at the time. I was... I was in my mid-20s, and he left me $3,000. And I knew he'd left it for me. He told me before he passed away. So I had to go to MidFirst Bank in Yukon, uh, Oklahoma. And when I walked in there, I told him, I said, well, I'm here. I said, my grandfather's passed away, and he's left me a trust fund. They said, well, come back in the office, and we'll get you fixed up. So I sat down. They said, do you have a death certificate? I said, yes, I do. They said, well, do you have your driver's license? I said, yes, I do. We're also going to need your thumbprint and your Social Security card. And then we need you to sign all these documents. You know what I didn't say? Look, you don't understand the gift. Obviously, you don't understand the gift because this is a gift. And if I give you all this and provide all this information and meet your terms, then I've earned it and that's not a gift and I want this to be a gift. No, it was a gift. But I had to meet their terms. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I guarantee you that. He just gave it to me. But I had to meet the terms to get it. Friends, God's grace is the same way. Now, when I say God's grace is conditional, I'm not saying every facet of God's grace is conditional. Jesus didn't teach that. He said, God sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He does that, doesn't he? God provides blessings. But when we talk about salvation and righteousness, which comes as a result of God's grace, that is conditional. You know why we know that? Because that's what God's Word tells us. It's conditional upon our faith. What is faith? We have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand. You know what that means? That means if we don't have faith, we don't have access. You know, when we talk about faith, people say, well, that just means believe. That's that's this mental thing that happens. It's something that happens mentally. I disagree with that. And I would encourage you to reject that because that is not what the Bible teaches about faith. Listen to what the Bible says about faith. 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.3 He said to the Thessalonians, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Now I want to ask you a question. Do works and faith always oppose one another? Absolutely not. Faith drives us to do, doesn't it? James 2.17 Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead. Faith without action, he says, is lifeless. It's dead. It doesn't do anything. Romans 16, I want to mention that again. Romans 16, at the end of the book we've been examining where he said we're justified by faith and Abraham believed God and it was counted to righteousness. He said, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations. Why? For the obedience of faith. You know where else he says that? Romans 1, 5. That I wrote this book. Why? So people would obey the faith. Galatians 5, 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. Then we get a description of people who were faithful to God. We call them the heroes of faith. I just want to look at three of them. By faith, Abel offered. Did Abel do anything? He sure did. Why did Cain kill Abel? Wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. By faith Noah being warned of God of things seen not, uh, not seen as yet moved with fear prepared an ark for the saving of his house. I wonder if we went back and we talked to Noah and said Noah how were you saved? What would Noah tell us? Well, maybe you would tell us what Genesis chapter 6 says, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Was Noah saved by grace? Yes, how? Through faith. Did he do anything? You know, I'm a carpenter, and we've built some pretty good structures before, but I have never built a structure to the magnitude that Noah did. He built a giant wooden box, 450 foot long, or however long a cubit is. 300 cubits. Did Noah do something? Yes. Why? Because God told him to. And friends, that's not works or deeds of the law that make man righteous. That is a man that's acting upon God's plan. Why? Because he has faith in God. Noah did something. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go into a place, he should afterward receive for an inheritance, obeyed. God said that to Abraham. After Abraham offered Isaac, God said, now I know. Now I know what? That you're faithful. Why? Because you did what I told you. Faith, biblical faith, faith that gives us access to the grace of God, and the gift by grace is active. If it's not, it's dead. See, these men had a living faith. They had a working faith, a faith that works by love. And they were saved by grace through faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. He says, for he that comes to God must believe that he is. Okay, I'll give you that. That is the mental part, isn't it? We must believe that God is. God is what? That He is who He said He is. That He exists. That He is God. But then there's a second part to this verse. And that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You know when I see this phrase, diligently seek Him, you know what I think of? Intent persistence. Perseverance. Constant action, diligently seek. You know what that is? That's faith. Faith is not, well, yeah, I believe God. I believe God is. I believe Jesus is his son. I I believe that God sent his son to die. That's not faith. That's a kind of faith. That's a level of faith. But that's not the faith that he's talking about. Listen, he's not trying to teach us that we're saved without action. That's not the point. He was combating something that was being spread all through the church in that day. And I think Jesus described that in Luke chapter 18. The Bible says, He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. He's going to give them a parable, but who is he talking to? He was talking to people who thought that they were better than everyone else and they trusted in themselves that they were righteous before God. And here's what he said. (coughs) One man, he says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. One translation renders this passage that he prayed to himself. God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Where was this man looking? Well, I feel pretty good about myself, God. You know why? Because I do this and I don't do that. And I'm sure not like that guy over there. I do things right. Everyone else does everything wrong. So I'm righteous. He said the other man standing afar off, would not so much as lift his face toward heaven. But you know what he did? He says he smote upon his breast. You know what that means? God be merciful to me, a sinner. Who went home righteous? Jesus said the man, the publican, The man that you Jews would say is despicable scum of the earth, this man went home just. Because he trusted in the God of heaven. I'm going to ask you a question. When someone asks you, Are you saved? What do you say? Well, yeah, I'm saved. Well, do you feel confident in your salvation? Well, I don't, I don't know. You know I, hope, I hope I'm right. Why do we hope? What's the standard we look at when we make that statement? Well, you know, I'm not perfect. I mean, I'm. Do we trust in ourselves? Do we flap our wings? They're not wings. (laughs) Friends, we don't have the ability to fly and we don't have the ability to make ourselves righteous. I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm righteous in the eyes of God. you know why? Because God paid the price at Calvary and I trust in Him. And I trust in Him daily. And I'm not perfect. But I'm walking with Him. I make mistakes. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from sin. And friends, if you're walking with God, you're righteous in His eyes. He pardons you from sin. But if you just think that you're righteous because you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I want you to know, friends, that's not going to save you. Over and over in the Gospels, Jesus taught that if you're my disciples, keep my commandments. First John teaches us that if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. Are you righteous? You know, some people say, well, Ian, you know, I don't like this kind of teaching because people will abuse. They'll abuse the grace of God. Oh, they'll try. (laughs) They'll try. Which brings us to a question Does God's grace encourage sin? No. Paul asked that same question in in Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? I want you to know something, folks, and we're going to talk about this tomorrow night, that if you've obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you should be dead to sin. So I don't even know what that means. Are you going to walk up to a lifeless body in a casket and say, Bill, let's go fishing. Come on, let's go fishing. I got news for you. Bill ain't going fishing. You know why? Because he's dead to this world. When the old man's crucified, he's dead to sin. Sin may come toward your way, but you don't live in it. You can't abuse the grace of God. Because, friends, when you do that, you're no longer faithful. And when you're no longer faithful, you don't have access to the grace. But if you're faithful, His blood cleanses you from sin. There are two ideas we've looked at tonight. Either you're saved by the law and works, and that means you're saved by performance. It's all dependent upon you. And it's not a gift. You have earned it. And if you've done that, you can boast. You can stand up and say, I am righteous, and I did it. But you'd be a liar. (laughs) Because you can't do that at the end of the day, you're totally dependent upon yourself. That's not faith, is it? That's not faith. It may be faith in you. But that's not faith in God. Friends, we are saved by grace through faith. I believe that every ounce of my being. And it's not of ourselves. It's a gift from God. It's a free gift. And the only thing we can boast... Is in the Lord. We sing that song, don't we? Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in what? Jesus Christ. The gospel excludes boasting. Friends, maybe you've never experienced the gift that's by grace. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, we want to encourage you to do that tonight. Maybe what you deserve is death, but God wants to give you life. He wants to make you righteous, declare you innocent. He wants to give you purpose in life. He wants to change who you are. Maybe you'd like to do that tonight. We want to help you with that maybe you're here and you're a Christian you know I don't know your hearts you know preachers say we don't know your hearts and minds because we don't we don't know your heart but you do and God does and maybe you have departed from God maybe you have been living faithful maybe you've been living in sin you know sometimes people are living a life that's secret And they're living in sin. And every night before they go to bed, they pray. And they really don't feel like their prayer is getting above the ceiling. I sympathize with you. I've been there. It's not required that you come before this assembly. But maybe you need that. And if you do, we're here to help you. We want to take that need before God with you. If you're in need of the Savior tonight, come have a seat in the front and we'll help you as we stand and sing.